You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. This is Quantum Leap Book Club. Our regular host, Parisha, will not be joining us tonight as she is traveling and teaching. So her, her co-host will cover tonight's material. We have Geraldine Dalby-Bowl, environmental biologist from Sydney, Australia, Trina Cooper, lifelong entrepreneur from Denver, Colorado, Dr. Joyce Mullenhauer, doctor of naturopathy from Kingman, Arizona, myself, Marianne Love, I'm a psychologist from Melbourne, Australia. We have Maria Jackis, licensed psychologist from Miami, Florida, and Steve Jones all the way over there in Kingman, Arizona. So our book this week is Fred Allen Wolf's uh, what is it? Matter into Feeling, A New Alchemy of Science and Spirit. And we're in Chapter 8, discussing pages 142 to 152 tonight. And we're broadcasting through Law of Attraction Network Radio. So let's begin. So again, another very interesting chapter that um, expands your mind and twists it on its head and makes you confused about what reality you're in. Fred has an amazing way of just... Um, bringing a whole nother slant to all of this from a very unique perspective and yet also saying the same thing in some ways as other people are talking about with quantum physics, but he has just such a brilliant way of describing it. So I thought I would read out the first page, um, which is hate to fay. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Hate represents the fundamental synthesis of possibilities occurring at the imaginal level the level where the previous seven letter sim symbols also reside. Now with hate, we have the dim beginning of physical existence. Although still a seed, hate represents the summing up or storage of the various possibilities represented in Zane. At the imaginal level, all kinds of possibilities are tried, some before, uh, are tried before some of them gel. When the gel forms, the imaginal hate turns into the material fay, thus forming the personality of the real being, a face onto the window of life. So chapter eight's all about a new level, I guess, of manifestation. And um, I just thought I'd share a little bit of what I got out of it today before we go on to some of the other co-hosts. But um, he's really, in, in my experience, talking about the distinction between the soul, um, which is more the like immaterial sort of immortal part of the human being, the spirit, maybe some people would call it, and the persona, which is really like more the character. Um, if you look up the dictionary, it says the aspects of our character perceived, perceived by others or the outer character. So it's this real dance between the inner um, identity of I and the more um, experience of oneness, like a collective conscious sort of oneness. And we're in this dance all the time, weaving ourselves into the in between the two stories, the story of I and the story of the oneness. And he describes it more like a dream mask, like we're at all times wearing a mask and we can change that at any time as well. We just have to simply tap into the oneness and that mask can be changed. We can choose from any any of the collective consciousness. We can choose whatever mask we want to wear and we can change our internal mask. Um, but at that individual level, like we're sort of engaged in the emotions and um, the life story that we wear as a mask. Um, and that even in that, all the quantum all the laws of quantum physics still apply, um, that through observation we bring the world into existence um, and we alter everything just by simply attending to it. And the world isn't out there, it's linked to our minds. So 
I think the dance then between what mask we there we wear is very important to what that we then focus on and what we manifest. And I thought one thing that was really interesting was this idea that by that there is actually a price for observing and creating. And that price is that we separate from it and that we start in that separation by naming a thing, say saying that's a, a chair and we observe it as a chair and experience it as a chair. Now it's separate from us. And in that separation, we actually start to feel isolated. So we kind of describe that as the, um, I guess, the consequence or um, the downside in some ways of, of observation and manifestation. Um and that our soul really has, um, we have that choice of going into the individuality, um, which he called the self-full way and using observation, or we could go into the selfless way and experience more the heart wave or the no form, no connection, you know, into the nothingness, the oneness, and that we're constantly dancing between the two. And again, like that future, like you spoke about in the last chapter, the future is con continually affecting the present. Um, so we're always in that kind of turmoil um, between the two selves. So I know lots. I know the rest of you have lots more to share. So I won't just take over the airspace here. I will share it with you guys. So I'd love to hear. Firstly, I guess what Maria had got from this chapter. What did you get, Maria? Yeah, I totally agree with you. This chapter was definitely a very, very deep chapter. And just, you know, like you said, he just expertly takes us into these very deep parts of ourselves. And he he started the chapter, and I wanted to read that quote um, where he's from Brikanyanda uh, Upchinad. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But anyways... What it says is, he who knows that he is spirit becomes spirit, becomes everything. Neither gods nor men can prevent him. The gods dislike people who get this knowledge. The gods love the obscure and hate the obvious. And I think that one little paragraph is telling us everything of what we are capable of as we understand ourselves as spiritual beings living a human experience. And in this chapter, he takes us into what I consider a very deep discussion of the reality of our beings as humans. He starts by referencing to the snake of time that he spoke about in the previous chapter. If you all remember that snake kind of, you know, coiling, in, coiling into itself. And what he says is that as these two emerge in that loop of time, we have two conflicting stories that emerge as the concept of the I, I being me, or the self emerges. In one story, we see ourselves as part of one mind where it's, where it's distinct and separate from others. But in the other story, we play more of a second, secondary role, he says. And what he describes as that we get caught up in the web of our feelings and create what he calls the dream mask that Marianne, you were referring to. And these dream masks show up in our out there reality, which means the beauty. The, so the beauty of all that he's presenting here, which I just thought was great, was fascinating, is that once we realize this process, we're given the opportunity to change. Or I love that he used the word purify. When I read that, it was like, wow, that really impacted me. Because when you say purify or change, the face that you put on out there by changing the face you wear in here. In other words, in our minds, what he's referring to is inside the mind and in, in the, or the imaginal or out there in reality. So once again, you know, he's reminding us here how creating our destiny, destiny is totally within our control. All of us are that we're on this journey, I think, are striving to become the best version of ourselves and to better humanity as a whole. I think as in general, you know, we're attracted to these books, we're attracted to this book club and many other things because that seems to be our goal. But as he reminds us, we have to be willing to give up, give up our personas or the old personality. 
take off the masks of the ego. And that means facing your soul. And that was, the, I think that's a very powerful statement. The face that we had before we were born, he says. Now think about this for a moment. That would mean the face before we were born is the, is the one that is in touch with pure energy, where there's no disconnectedness or separation or where no illusions exist. So the challenge then, um, as I kind of gathered from all of this information, was it becomes, and what he was presenting to us, is it becomes that we have to maintain our perspective where it needs to be as we realize that our observations bring the world into existence. I mean, think, really consider what he's saying here. Our observations bring the world into existence through the observer effect. There is no reality until reality is perceived. That means us. This is so exciting because to me in the field of self-improvement and change, there's nothing more powerful than the material he presents here. And the science to back it up that definitely shows how we are co-creators in our realities and what we want this world to be. What So what is out there depends on what we choose to look for. Now, he goes on to describe how we tend to lose our soul awareness by gaining knowledge, where he said, uh, there's a statement that he said, where each aha moment is followed by, so what? Kind of like, now what do I do with this information? He, and, he, and he refers to the example of Adam and Eve eating the apple in the Bible. And I'm sure we can all identify with moments in our lives where we've had these type of experiences. I know I have where I get a big aha moment and I'm in the experience of it, but then it's like, okay, now what do I do? What we need to understand is that we are connected to the whole universe. So a change not only occurs within us, but outside of us as well when we observe it. And it varies. And what he says in this chapter is that each of these variations then causes what he describes as the I or split which results in consciousness, then the knowing becomes the mind and the matter depends mainly on our choices. Again, I see this as a reminder of our role in creation. What, we're, what we choose to focus on has a direct impact on what we create out there. Now, he also reminds us that in order to become aware, we have a choice. We have to be aware of the resistance that comes up for us. This resistance then is the reminder that we're spiritual beings living in a human body. So therefore, that becomes very significant based on that how we choose. He ends this chapter with the powerful sentence which sums it all up. The beauty is that by choosing to see spiritually, we are no longer interested in prediction. We become one with our soul, which is what he's been the purpose of this whole chapter. And from there, I'll stop so that we can continue with the rest of our co-hosts. Wonderful. That was brilliant. Thank you for that. Very good. So who do we have next? I believe I am. Joyce Wonderful. Kingman, Arizona. I'm going to start off with just uh, sharing a little bit of the impact that this chapter had on me. I recognized how much we have complicated our lives. And it brings a sense of compassion for myself as well as for everyone in the universe. When he breaks this down to recognizing that the difference between being individual or part of the human kind of mind, of being selfless and being selfful, these contrasts are really basic. And the amazing thing that he um, emphasizes on the, in this chapter is we have choices. We have locked ourselves into a physical existence. And by locking ourselves into that, we're not even aware many times that we have made a choice and that there are choices there. It's a lack of awareness. So that really, really hit home for me to just be more of an explorer and what my choices are and be intelligent and get the results that I want. And and his bottom line for the whole chapter is how you do this is you shift your perceptions. 
And then he goes on to helping us recognize what we want to shift. Now, for any of the listeners that have been following uh, this book with Dr. Wolf and never read anything else, you'll know by now he has a very strong focus on quantum physics. And that's basic to understanding everything that he writes. So uh, uh, Maria and, and Marie have definitely touched on the observer effect, but I want to touch on a little bit more of it. Because the principle of complementarity that says two opposites can't exist in your, in your understanding or your experience, they cannot exist at the same time. And there's some real good news in that, because if once we recognize what we do not want in our lives and we look for the opposite, we immediately, even to the point that some other studies have, have led me to realize, by being a positive person, we are magnets for positive people. If we're a negative person, we are a magnet for negative people. So this is what the observer effect is saying. You can't have both. You have one or the other. So it gives us a little monitoring point. And I love the uh, encouragement that Grandmother Parashaw has given many people is to actually, if you can't, if you're not a traveler, to actually watch videos of other cultures. Because when we get locked into our own personal self full perceptions we don't we don't have that broad base to go by so i that's just a really an excellent way to connect with other cultures and then sometimes it can lead you to doing things for them or offering some kind of gifting so the object of attention plus the mind of the observer changes things and i had not really comprehended that that changes me as well as it changes what I'm putting my attention to. So that was a big one. So I think we've covered pretty well the difference between the individual and the one mind and the persona and the soul. But I have some comments I can make later if we have time. Wonderful. Thank you, Joyce. Now, what do you have to say, Trina? Well, let's see. Yeah, Chapter 8, another one of those little mind pretzel kind of um of chapters again but you know we're drawing into existence now we're drawing into the physical which is pretty cool so um this chapter is called from possibility to persona and soul and again we have to remember in hate we've got all these possibilities streaming that feed forward streaming that feed backward Right now, they're all beginning to come together, and hate gathers them together into all the possibilities that could happen, where Faye puts these things into action. So they become real. They become physical. And as we move through this, we have to think about this in our lives, because two stories begin to happen. The one story is... How are we in our lives, in the space-time, in the persona that we're taking on? And then another one is, how are we part of that one mind? How are we part of that soul? I think most people do feel that pull between being so caught in the physical and wrapped up in everything that's going on. And then when they get a chance to quiet themselves, they find that inner self that the intuition or the sense of what they want to do and they're being pulled somewhere. And so we're basically talking about that individual persona that we create for ourselves, that one that we have all our memories and this is who we are and this is what I need to do. And then there's that other side that, and, the, and they call that one the mask, but then there's the other side of who are we truly? Who did we come in to be? And who are we trying to express in this world, in this existence? Now, when we realize that everything we see outside of ourselves, because quantum says 
we observe everything. Well, it all becomes part of who we are. It's, it's us observing. It's, it is reflecting back to us something that's going inside of, on inside of us. And each person we see reflects back to us a part of ourself, a part of who we are portraying. And while we think of the world being full of constant change, the essence of life really is change. We begin to think about, well, how are we changing inside then? How are we reflecting out? Because we look about and we see all these changes. Well, what we notice is what exists. And I had a little example of that, like yesterday, when we, um, my husband and I were in the car, I heard a sound. I had no idea exactly what it was. I just noticed the sound. It sounded like a car honking. Well, for him, it was a sound. It was a car. It was a driver there that seemed agitated, yet he could not understand why there was an agitation. So while we were both there at the exact same time, one of us perceived one thing, and that would be what would go into our memory. The other one perceives something else. That would be what they would take into their memory. So mere observation is enough to alter and change things that happen in the world. Now, we need to understand, too, that the universe also begins to see things also makes changes, also is aware. And as Joyce had brought up this complementary existence where we, we can only observe or focus on one thing at a time, we begin losing our soul awareness as we begin to focus so much more on the creation and the physical that we're making. The more we identify with that, the more we begin, it begins to create kind of this little loop in ourselves where we focus on that more than we do going inside and being in a place of no space, no time, no physicality, where we can move about and create from that level. So when we see one thing, everything else becomes hidden. When we make one choice, we kind of forget about the other possibilities are there. But the cool part is we can choose. And when we choose, what we had chosen before becomes a memory. And all of a sudden, we begin to pick up new sensory things. We begin to bring more stuff into our mind, into our memories. And we can change ourselves simply by changing that perception, the way that we observe, the way that we see things. So... We have a choice in everything that we do. It's a continual awareness. We can either go and choose the material, the body, the beingness, the particleness, the matter of who we are, and try and push through the resistance that's there, the inertia, the heaviness, or and he calls that the self full way. When we are so identified with our mask that we can't do other things, or we can jump to this selfless way, which is coming from the heart, coming from inside, becoming something. It's the wave. It's the energy of spirit. The resistance dissolves when we go into that still space. We're not connected out there anymore. Nothing feels separate. And we don't have that problem with inertia, with objects. Quantum physics tells us we can have an impact from the inside to what's out there. So just to wrap up, again, there's a material choosing. There's a spiritual choosing. We can connect with the physical world and feel totally helpless about what we're doing. Or we can choose to go to the spiritual way, to go inside to do things. And the helplessness that we feel actually allows us, we get a point where we want to surrender, where we want to let go of things, where these things don't exist. And we, by choosing to see it from a different perspective, then we are no longer worried about the outcome, the predictions, or things like that. We simply say, this is what we want to be. 
and then we basically focus on it and will it in. So this is all about choosing. Do you want to be in the physical and really push through that inertia? Or do you want to work from a soul level, from a spirit level, and be able to move things so much easier? And that's what I've got. Wonderful. Thank you, Trina. Now, do we have Geraldine on the line? Um, Potentially not. So we'll just move on to Steve. Steve, are you there? I'm here. Wonderful. So I found this uh, chapter to be about the choices that we can make, like choices about the perspective or the mask that we're observing with, which determines how and what we're, we're going to perceive of our experiences and also how we choose to experience things if it's the perspective of matter or the perspective of the creator of the matter, which we are both, our existence and our experiences are both of those things. And he, um, so he talks about the, the mass that we present to the world and how it's made from the collective consciousness of all the, all the things that have, we've experienced, all the images that we've stored through uh, our lifetime and that are present within our genetics. And he, he talks about how we can choose which masks we want to wear. And by doing that, we can kind of edit how we present ourselves to be closer to who, who we want to be. If we don't like the mask that we presented, we can say, okay, we don't want to use that mask. We can choose another one. And I think in that, in knowing our different masks, one of the things that we need to do is or that I found is to find out how those masks work together and complement each other so that we're not you know putting um, putting one mask on and then completely putting it down and going to another but considering in that transition and in using all those masks how we can work as a whole as a in harmony and now Wolf says that the masks limit us um just like um just like it was talked about that uh once we identify something or we put it in we observe it it takes us away from the whole non-limited view the more we focus the more more we're focused on just one thing um so what it made me ask myself is is how am I perceiving? Which mask am I using to perceive? So if I'm a, you know, a person who wants to the best for all the people in the world, how would I be looking at it? Wouldn't I be looking at all the things I could appreciate? So it made me aware that I need to know who I am when I'm looking and say, okay, how, who am I and how am I perceiving this? If I am this person, what would I be looking for? How would I be seeing it? Would I be looking for the critical? Would I be looking for the positive? He also talks about that consciousness is as consciousness does. So that's another good way to meter what we're doing. We might be thinking, you know, that we're, you know, doing the right thing. But then if we see our actions aren't uh, matching up with that, we might want to look at what mask is taking us to that place. Uh, the awareness uh, that he talks about is what I found interesting that he talks about the aware awareness that you're being aware of the thing and your the awareness is actually creating the thing. So the more detailed that you are, the more focused and uh, if you can, you can feel, um, you can you can visualize. All these details, the, the closer or the closer it comes to reality, the more that you're putting that in into your into your mind and into the observation. He talked about how when you feel resistance, resistance is the awareness of a choice arising. And I thought that was kind of interesting um, to know because you have a choice at that point of those, the, the two comp complementary ways of experiencing anything that was were talked about, you can experience it as a, a knowledge being particle, so the matter, which is 
physical, or you can experience it as, again, as you, the heart becoming a wave, which is the perspective of a creator. So it's, it's like these, the two streams of information that he talked about before coming from the future and coming to the past and meeting in that way. And where they meet, you have that opportunity and that uh, choice to be able to, to determine how you're going to see it. And he talks about uh, that, that matter is turned into information and information is turned into matter. Again, uh, illustrating how if when you have the details, if you have a detailed plan of something, it tells the, the universe how to manifest it. And if something is already manifested it and you observe it, you can see those details and it's stored in your mind. And the, the matter, he, and he talked about how the universe itself chooses how to uh, interpret and how to view things. The uh, universe could choose to look at information uh, in, a, in a way that is uh, in choosing to be physical, or you could, it could choose to be the non-physical, in which case it becomes a, a universe where there's no determination between time and space. So you have the two opposite, opposites. You have something that's very focused, and then you have something that's all-encompassing. And so he he talks and he talks about how perfect order can't exist in the physical universe and because we're always striving for physical or for order in the universe this gives us the motivation it gives us the uh what we need we're always trying to create to make that so it gives us an incentive to create all the time because we're striving for that order but it because it's changing all the time it never really exists but it keeps us going and keeps us trying to change toward that vision that we have. And that is what I got out of it. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Very interesting. So does anyone now have some things you want to share, like um, comments or anything you've gotten out of this that's really stuck with you? He talks a lot about in this the uncertainty principle. And I thought, yeah, what, you know, why is he mentioning that? So I looked up the uncertainty principle and it says it's it states that we cannot know both the position and speed of a particle as such as a photon or electron with perfect accuracy so the more we nail down a particle's position the less we know about its speed and vice versa and i think that's really interesting because that um again kind of Again, opens us up to so much choice. Nothing is that fixed. And that's the exciting thing about this. But again, he's talking at the end of that chapter on page 152 that it almost creates a helplessness as well, like a sense of chaos. But in that chaos, as Steve was describing, we want to go towards like we envision the perfect solution or the perfect outcome. And so we're constantly in this dance between chaos and disorder and imagining order and perfection and maybe that's what makes our lives interesting I don't know like we certainly weave an interesting story out of that dance don't we all of us we have lots of things to say about that things working out not working out what we want what we hope and dream so what would you like to say Joyce I love the fact that you just brought up the fact of the helplessness because I was fascinated that he equated feeling helpless as actually being an invitation to surrender. And by surrendering, we he also said, we then can use the freedom to choose. So by feeling the freedom to choose, we can let go of all of our hardwired um, ideas of, of wanting to predict of wanting to control. And like I never ever thought of my helpless moments being an invitation. And I think this is an important one. Mm. And something nice about that is that it's not just you that feels helpless. Like it's me, it's all of us. It's, it's a human experience and we can 
you know, put the whip down, you know, like, you know, this is what we're born into and the, the territory we need to navigate, having a human experience and we can use it to our advantage. It, it's part of it. And we, we're co-creators, we're manifestors, like we just need to learn to focus. And I, I liked his talk about the dream mask, like that idea of a mask and that we can change it. We just simply choose, like tap into the unconsciousness. There's many masks. There's many ways of thinking. And um, we can wear whatever one we want that suits the reality we're creating. So as a psychologist, I love anything that um, allows people a choice of change and um, helps us not be fixed in any state. Yeah, you know, I can add to that, Marianne, because as a psychologist myself, I also feel the same way. That's why I love this material. And this chapter really emphasized a lot on that choice. And, you know, somewhere in the book, in the chapter, he said something about using this, this book as, as kind of a guide. And, and, and really, this chapter kind of encompassed it all. You know, all the other chapters were very very meaty and full of the science uh, of the explaining the why, but this really brought it down and honed it into not only the matter of choice and kind of to address what uh, Joyce was saying, you know, I, where, where he speaks of the helplessness, I, what's exciting to me about that. And even for myself and working with other people is that where where he also talks in the chapter about resistance and the importance of what that what resistance means when it arises within us and i you know he he's he says that resistance is, is important because it's basically kind of like that spiritual part or that soul self speaking to us and i think it's in that surrendering that Joyce was referring to that in surrendering. So it's almost like reframing a sense of helplessness to perhaps a resistance and that that's part of the normal process. And in that we surrender to that spiritual essence of ourselves where we take off the mask and meet that soul part of ourselves. Yes. And Trina, you wanted to add as well. I, think. I do. Um, I think it almost describes what people have a midlife crisis or something like that because they get so frustrated or there's something come up in their life and they're so frustrated and nothing seems to be working or they're tired of, of things and, or they've had an addiction or whatever it is. And they get to this place finally where whatever's inside of them is just calling to them, speaking to them, and they start seeking, they start looking. And that's why I think that helplessness gives us the ability to begin to look at our spiritual self. I remember being taught a long time ago about this downward movement of coming from spirit and going all the way down into the, the physical totally and then all of a sudden beginning to realize that, hey, there's a lot more to life and who we are. And we begin this progression back again to spirit or to soul or finding a purpose or, or the reasoning in the world or whatever it is that, that locks people in. Um, but there seems to be a seeking and a searching at some point in someone's life. The other piece I wanted to touch on was um, you brought up that. The, the one um, uncertainty principle, but he also brings up that um, other principle about the complementary ways and the fact that we can only, we only perceive one at a time. Um, so one becomes almost hidden and inaccessible. And in this, he gives us this great example of how we just don't see things for what they are. And that a lot of times we have that feed forward from our memory and his example is the you know you may not have seen someone since high school but in your mind it's they're like they were in high school and then when you see them <coughs> excuse me they're still you're 
your mind's still operating from those old memories or the old programs that you had. But unless you really open yourself up and begin to become aware or perceive them as they are now, like they may be gray haired or, or whatever, um, all of a sudden you start seeing new things about them. You start seeing who they are now versus who they were in your memory. And that's that kind of trickster thing again, that um, we always think that we're basing our decisions or choices or whatever it is on truth. However, the truth may have been something from a long time ago that is lodged in our memory and may not actually be what's present right now. So it's a really good reminder to bring ourselves into the now and become aware and to really touch in with, with what's going on with us, not just on the outside, but on the inside so that we can find what's true, what's new and begin a new appreciation and a new experience for ourselves. Yeah, beautifully put. Thank you. I'm just noticing a little feedback from Maria there. If you could mute, that'd be great. I can see Geraldine's come online. I think, Geraldine, you probably have a whole lot to share about this chapter. Do you have some reflections? We're just in the discussion part now. While Geraldine's coming off mute, is there anybody else? Oh, there you go. Yes. Oh, good. Yes, I, I read it to myself a couple of times and then listened to it, and that was interesting because the number of aha moments in terms of that just that very first bit, if you know that you're a spirit, you become a spirit and how subtle the changes can be. And then that's what I was able to observe because it says as you observe things, you change them and you change themselves and you might not notice what you change because it could be a subtle change. So that, that's been something quite nice then comparing that to things like, say, water that creates a valley because there's this idea that we do something and there's something large and we've got to see it to know that it's happened. But this chapter really reminded me that there's a subtlety about change and that we are different when we observe different. Yeah, that stood out to me too. Yeah, that it, the observation itself changes us. So I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And is there anyone else that wants to share? I was wondering what, you know, what your reflection was on right at the end of the last chapter. He says, um, the beauty is that by choosing to see spiritually, we're no longer interested in the prediction, which he was referring to the prediction of our choices. We become one with our soul. What do you think becoming one with the soul means when we're in this world living in third dimension constantly experiencing matter and um, our goals and our pursuits as this individual identity. And then he says, actually, uh, after all of this, the, the you know, it's beautiful now to become one with your soul. Does anyone have any comments about that? Yeah, I can comment real briefly on that because yeah. that's, that's how kind of a, that stood out for me also. I kind of, I, I see that as, as the challenge of staying in the now, you know, because so much of our time is spent on predicting the future and outcome that when you really begin to embrace all this material and the concepts of what he's presenting, particularly in this chapter, it, it's sort of like you surrender. So you surrender to this process you know, it's kind of like the unknown, being in the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen, but you just are in that surrender mode and trust mode that even as the observer, we do have control over our outcomes. So that was, I thought that was really a very, very powerful little sentence to end this 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 whole chapter on. It was really powerful. Yeah, I thought so too. What did you have to say about it, Geraldine? Well, it really brought up for me another book that we're looking at at the moment too, Matter Into Feeling. And there's this, uh, I mean, this is the book, but there's a, another one I'm looking at that talks about putting putting the, the face of your soul onto the face of your persona and that meeting your soul being your 
intrinsic self and the other book I was thinking of is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself where they talk about the gap and the gap being who you really are and then who you present. And to me, this soul is who we really are. And that line that he has of, I had to read it a few times, but it was putting the, putting the face of your soul square in the face of your own face, mm. which related then to breaking the habit of being yourself and closing that gap. When your soul or your true identity, your intrinsic self becomes what you're portraying to the outside world and there's no gap between who you are and who you are portraying. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating as well. And it's like, because it's interesting that he talks about when you're manifesting or when you're something separate from you, you experience it as a loss. I thought that's, you know, like the loss of something. So I have an object and now by having an object, I've experienced the loss because now I'm separate from it. So really then the only true love is then in the nothingness, which grandmother teaches us a lot to do in our meditation is actually go into the no-thingness, the nothingness, um, where there is no form. And then in that, you know, from what I've understood about what Fred Allen Wolf is saying, that we become whole or one or, you know, in that state of connection or peace. So imagine living with the soul on your face instead of the mask on your face. The soul is your mask. The soul is your face. <laughs> That's the ultimate goal, <laughs> isn't it? That'd be lovely. So I know more of you, like I can see you jumping up and down to share. What 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 have you got to say? I'd like to share. Okay. I'd like to leave with two with two questions for people and for myself. How aware are we? Is my first question. And by exploring our choices we can first recognize that we always have choices. So that's a really important awareness. The second question is, can we totally embrace Dr. Wolf's information that we indeed can impact others from a distance? Because in the world that we live in right now, yes, it's wonderful to have a positive influence on people who are in ourselves and on people that are in our immediate lives. But I feel such an excitement to think we can actually impact people at a distance in another country with a different language and with a different culture and receive that impact back. So those are my two questions. How aware are we and can we totally embrace Dr. Wolf's information in this particular chapter? Wonderful. Does anyone want to have a stab at answering those questions already or we're going to let the audience linger and and meditate and mindfully reflect i mean they're going to do that anyway hopefully but does anyone want to want to comment or well those are those are two very good excellent questions joyce because if you be and and i think it is something that myself and the listeners need to ponder on because then it really you know takes us to when we know that and believe that it 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 indicates what we're capable of creating both individually and globally as a as a, as a world you know it 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 excites me Joyce because I think of what potential there is for our our whole planet because that's really what he's presenting here even with the quantum physics there is no separation so it's exciting to me I think those two questions are exciting to explore yes and I think opening ourselves up to living from a soul perspective then what what we manifest then becomes I I believe much more generous or globally based or earth-based and um, love-based even though it's nice to manifest a car or whatever you want like we're here to have a good time so we can manifest whatever we want to but I just feel like on a soul level it becomes a richer and richer experience from the being and what I love with what you've just said there is I suddenly as I was reading him his talk about the complementarity 
yes, I can I can understand what he's talking about about opposites, but he also helped me recognize what you have just said that what we can manifest at the physical level happens because we have achieved what we have at the spiritual level. At least that's what how it feels to me. Yes. So our, our spiritual face is can impact the physical world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I got from it that if you simply focus, you will manifest if you put feeling behind it. But to me, it deepens the manifestation if there if for me if there's more soul behind it. And Geraldine, you wanted to share. A quick thing that uh, Joyce reminded me of too is that section where he talks about you need, you know, there is a need to tend to our own survival needs, and that's our everydayness. And within that, we have our conscious sort of hoping that we're doing stuff for the world, or hoping that the world will sort itself out, and that someone might feel guilty about it, or you might feel a bit heavy about it. Hey, I'm not doing enough in the world. Uh, and that there's some muddling about there, as it says, you know, you can muddle through. But the answer, and again, as, as Grandmother Parisha has shared as well, it's not about doing meditation and then getting up from meditation and going and doing busyness. The meditation is 24-7. It's a mindset. It's like that's what we're talking about with our soul as well. But to remember that what he's inviting us to do is to know that in our everydayness we're also impacting the global the global scale it's not I've got to survive my everydayness to then be able to do something on the global scale they're not separate fantastic um, and um and before we finish is there any other comments anyone wants to share on me yeah I just listening um I was thinking you know we do this anyway we do it naturally and we're not aware and so this is really bringing all of these things into our awareness, which does create a shift in us, which does make the way we perceive things different in which we do create differently in the world. So um, we do it anyway. And that's what I think is, is really cool. But to be able to do it consciously and really have it in our minds all the time that's the space that I want to be in for sure yeah 100 percent. and on that note it's time to conclude our studies and we thank you for sharing your time and energy with us you matter and count you always make a difference we look forward to you being with us next week as we make that leap into greater consciousness have a powerful week and allow your light to shine and always all good things to you Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.